down below a Babylon 5 intro cast. Movie The Gathering Pilot Episode Welcome everyone to Down Below, a Babylon 5 intro cast. I'm Will. I'm Ann. I'm Heidi. I'm Elizabeth. Today we join you to discuss the pilot episode of Babylon 5 called The Gathering. But first, we have an ISN report. ISN Special Report Scandal Mars Peace Station Opening As the newly built Babylon 5 station opens its doors, an assassination attempt was made on the life of Ambassador Koch of the enigmatic Vorlon Empire. Suspicion soon fell upon Commander Sinclair. Non-Ambassador Jakar soon insisted that he should be sent to the Vorlons for prosecution. However, it was finally revealed that a Membari from a splintered terrorist group in the Membari Federation was responsible. And so, the crisis averted, Babylon 5 can finally pursue its purpose of peace. Now on to news from Mars. Thanks, Ian. Thanks, Cheers. The Gathering originally aired on February 22nd, 1993. It was written by JMS. And it was directed by Richard Compton. Richard Compton, he was actually in two episodes of Star Trek, the original series. But after that, he's directed episodes of Star Trek, the next generation, Charm, Sliders, Miami Vice. And he's also done two episodes of the X-Files. Before we move forward, how about a short promo from our friends over at DexterCast? On the DexterCast, we do a rewatch of the Showtime series Dexter. There are four hosts. Two of us, Bob and Rachel, have seen Dexter before. The other two, Thena and Janice, are watching for the first time. This format is called an IntroCast. So join us on the DexterCast as we follow the adventures of America's favorite serial killer, Dexter Morgan. So, Elizabeth, you were just recently on DexterCast, weren't you? Yes. Uh, we were doing the, uh, I think, the 10th episode of the 6th season. Ah, so, cool. almost done with that one. So, if you like Dexter, why don't you check those guys out? Yeah, it's a great podcast. And now we'll get into our episode recap, and this is a biggie. Um, before I start, I'll just say that this is the TNT version that's on the D. DVD. I've never actually myself have seen the original version after the episode. After the recap, we'll talk a little bit about the differences between the two versions. But the TNT version is closer to what JMS wanted it to be in the first place. He said on the commentary that he was pretty new to being an executive producer, so he didn't do a lot of things that he would have wanted to and as big of a fan as I claim to be of this show and of JMS, if I knew what the J and JMS stood for before now, I had forgotten it, but it stands for Joseph. Okay. The uh, TNT edit actually aired in 98, by the way. 
right. so just when it got transferred over um it's a piece of information i just found out today but after we go through everything i've got some notes on the differences because i, I was actually able to watch the original version as well oh you did yeah, I've got some notes on the original edit and the TNT version. So after we've gone through it, I can uh, bring up some of those if you want. Now, I'm guessing I can't watch any of the commentaries, right? Because they would have spoilers for the series? Yeah, this particular one did have some spoilers. So okay. it was dangerous to watch them. Yeah, yeah especially no, where the, <laughs> the DVDs were probably put out after the series was completed right oh, at true. least that's how yeah. that's yeah how things were back right i think 90s. so i think the dvds came about uh 2001 2002 or so mm-hmm. and i think the movie set may have been even later because i think jms said at the end you know it's been 11 years so that would have been 2004 yeah, uh, I think uh, the movies came out last, didn't they? Uh, well, before Crusade anyway, but yeah, they were the last box set to re- be released. Mm-hmm. Episode starts with a voiceover from a character that we later learn is Lando Malari, and he says that he was there at the start of the Third Age of Mankind, which began in the year 2257 with the founding the last of the Babylon stations in neutral space, and it's a place where species from different worlds could live in peace. Yeah, I really like this um, opening. I don't know why. <laughs> I got really excited. <laughs> just hearing it again, just another thing that brought back chills. So I think we can say that Elizabeth's prediction last week that this would be about bringing cultures together and the station being a good meeting place for different cultures, that we can say that was correct mm-hmm. Woohoo. yeah one well, prediction down <laughs> and also Heidi saying that Babylon is the name of the space station I think we can give her that one alright we each got one yay I'll leave it up to you to keep score <laughs> yeah I'm sure our listeners will uh, be keeping score as well as we go along <laughs> So in the Observation Dome, is that what it's called, the Observation Dome? Yeah, the Observation Dome, or CNC, I think. So we have Lieutenant Commander Takashima is directing a ship to dock. Lieutenant Commander Laurel Takashima is played by Tamlin Tomita. She's been on other shows like Eureka. She was on Stargate SG-1 in Atlantis. And if you remember the show Hero, she played Hiro Nakamura's sister. Oh. oh, okay. And she's going to be on an upcoming ABC show called Resurrection, which is based on a book I'm reading called The Returned, which is completely different from the show that was said, the French show that was just on Sundance called The Return. It's kind of confusing. And <laughs> A&E is making an American version of the French show. And I think they're, I don't remember what they're calling it. Maybe something different. So she does a lot of (laughs) sci-fi. Right. She's been on other non-sci-fi stuff too, but that was just what stood out to me. Yeah, at the the beginning with her, she kind of... I don't know. I felt like her acting was really bad. Yeah, I have to agree with that. It was 
pretty terrible. <laughs> but then it, it kind of seems to get better, or maybe she just grew on me, because, like, by the end, I I really liked her quite a bit. But at the beginning, I was just like, okay, this this is horrible. <laughs> well, you might have been put off by the lights, really. I mean, that's really what struck me this time around. Um, I almost forgot how many lights and neon was in this show at the beginning. Um, and, you know, uh, in the Observation Dome, especially, you've got that thing on the floor. Yeah, it was really just more that I felt like she was reading her line. Yes, and Takashima was named after a high school friend of JMS. Oh, okay. So trivia. So she's contacted by Michael Garibaldi, who is the security chief, and he's looking for the commander of the station who needs to check somebody on board personally. Michael Garibaldi is played by Jerry Doyle. Um, one thing that I saw is he once got a part on Moonlighting because he looked a lot like Bruce Willis. <laughs> kind of see the resemblance there. I mean, I recognized him from something, but I was too scared to look at IMDb. Yeah, it wasn't so, Moonlighting. <laughs> yeah. He's been on Sliders and 90210 and some other shows. But. Maybe it was 90210. I used to watch that religiously. Me too. When I was young. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Me too. And now he's a conservative radio talk show host. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Actually, a bit more trivia on him. Um, around uh, early 2000s, somewhere in there, I'm not sure exactly on the year, but he did try and also run for, um, I think it was either Senate or Congress, one of your houses, um, but he was unsuccessful. I think he um, ran with the Republican Party, but he was unsuccessful. Huh. Interesting. So next we see Commander Jeffrey Sinclair, and he's warning a station visitor not to cross species because that species eats their mates. Yeah, he said, okay, (laughs) sexy alien lady. But uh, he said that um, there was like a list. So I'm assuming that there are certain species that could cross and certain species that can't. I don't know. He said stick with the list. Yeah, and and I was thinking, okay, there's these there's these cross species rules, and I'm like, okay, so, so you know, is this like a a message of some sort or whatever? And then I'm like, oh well, okay, maybe there's some good reasoning behind this. <laughs> yeah. Uh, interestingly, this I know we're saving most of the stuff for the end, but this scene was actually cut out of the uh, original edit. It went uh, actually straight into the next scene. Oh, really. Yeah, they mentioned yeah. that on the commentary. Did it say why? I, just for time? or? I don't remember. I just know that when they did the edit, they wanted to get they wanted to get some of the humor back into the episode. I'm not sure why originally mm-hmm. it was cut out. That's good, because there was only a few moments of humor. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of information to get through, though, really, and... Yes, yeah. hour and a half more or less. Right. So uh, Jeffrey Sinclair is played by Michael O'Hare. I saw on IMDb he's had a lot of guest appearances. Um, shows that stood out to me are TJ Hooker and Trapper John MD. He didn't really do a whole lot after Babylon 5, and unfortunately he passed away in 2012. Aww. So next we see a guy by the name of Dale Barner arrive on the station. 
and Doe Barner is played by John Fleck, and he's been on a lot of stuff. He was on Millennium, had a recurring character on Star Trek Enterprise. He played Gecko on Carnival, the, I think that was the lizard guy. And he, on, he was on season six of True Blood. I think he was one of the doctors doing research on the vampires. Okay. You could tell he's kind of shady by his plaid coat or something. Right. <laughs> he stuck out. And next we see Garibaldi introduces Lita Alexander to Sinclair. And when he scans her in, we see that she's a licensed psi and she has a rating of P5. And she's a sixth generation telepath. I really enjoyed that little... I mean, I, I like the idea of having the telepaths. I think it could it could add some di- good dimension to the show. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I like that it's like an inherited trait. Mm-hmm. And they have to be licensed and <laughs> register. And uh-huh. It's kind of interesting. I think my notes are telepath to exclamation points. <laughs> yeah. yeah, there are a lot of characters to introduce in this episode. Uh, Lita Alexander is played by Patricia Tallman. She's been on Star Trek The Next Generation. DS9 and Voyager. She was in an episode of Castle. Oh, really? Uh, he's dead. She's dead. It might not mm. ring any bells. The episode does, but I'd have to actually go back and figure out who she was. Yeah. Uh, scanners pick up a possible narcotic when one guy is uh, coming aboard the station, while at the same time, Sinclair is explaining the rules to Lita. No unauthorized mind scans and no gambling. Garibaldi tries to detain this guy with the narcotics. He's a dust dealer, but the dust dealer takes a hostage, and Sinclair managed to defuse the situation, kicking the dust dealer off the station, threatening to blow him out of the sky if he ever comes back to Babylon 5. No dust, no guns. Okay, so is are we supposed to know what dust is? Like, it's, is it really dust? It, it's a drug. It's, it's just okay. Yeah. I was like, no weapons, no dust. What? Yeah, <laughs> it's just like, drugs. Don't I figured it was a drug, but I was <laughs> like, wow, they're seriously taking this war on drugs. Oh, really <laughs> far. Very seriously. Wow. 2057. It's, <laughs> Don't even yeah. come near us anymore. And um, I, was, I was pleased to see the weapon that Garibaldi was holding. It looks like a scanner <laughs> it was like a little hand scanner but i guess it was a laser weapon or something i, I enjoyed that so i'm going to say no to elizabeth's prediction that they probably won't use weapons oh no i didn't predict they wouldn't use weapons did i oh uh, did i misunderstand i thought you said they probably won't have weapons oh maybe they won't carry them oh so he's security so he probably does carry them huh yeah yeah yeah, I figured there would be weapons that's you know somewhere, but yeah. yeah, probably they wouldn't be carrying them around all the all over the place. Okay. Um, but I think this was a good sort of introduction to um, Sinclair yeah. because you know he kind of it showed that he was a reasonable character and he's you know good at diffusing a situation, doesn't get too hot headed. Um, you know, so it's a good introduction to his character. Um. Maybe, well, I'll, I'll get into his character a little bit later. But yeah, I think that was a good way of showing, you know, what kind of commander he is. Or... Yeah, he got in there himself instead of, you know, letting other people take care of it for him. 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. I have a question. Yeah. When talking about the characters, do do fans generally call them by their first names or their last names? I think it kind of depends on the character. Because yeah, like yeah, that right. Like they talk to each other using their first names a lot. So like when I was doing my notes, I was like, okay, well, do I call him Sinclair or do I call him Jeff? And do I call him Garibaldi or Michael? Or, you know, it was kind of a, I wasn't sure. Yeah, I think most fans say Garibaldi and Sinclair. And like Londo Malari, most people call him Londo. Uh-huh. Um, okay. But it, it, it depends and... You know, it might change over time, depending on the characters. Mm-hmm. So the representative of the Narn named Jakar arrives on in the CNC to talk with Takashima. He's mad because they won't allow a supply ship on board, and that's because the ship won't submit to a weapon scan. Uh, Jakar is played by Andreas Katsuba, so I may be saying that wrong. Uh, if you watch Star Trek The Next Generation, early on in the show, he played Romulan Commander Tumalak, who was the nemesis of Picard and the Enterprise early on in the show. But unfortunately, he passed away in 2006 from lung cancer. Oh, wow. I know. Well, I like how we were getting little snippets throughout the episode of the history of, you know, the relationships between all the the five the five main, I guess, I don't know, yeah. empires or whatever you want to call them, races. Well, yeah, um, each race actually has a different title for the government, which you'll find out over time. Yeah, I heard so, a republic in there, and I think I heard an empire in there. Yeah. So Sinclair is escorting Lita to her quarters and explains how Babylon 5 is designed to accommodate different alien species, and we learned that there are four alien ambassadors there in addition to human, so... Well, we'll be four once of all on arrives. Right. Oh, yeah. this, this scene again, this is something interesting in here because in the original, you had um, no walls on the entrances to the alien uh, rooms. So it kind of looked like a zoo, actually. Um and there was a production reason for this. JMS uh, at the time said, well, the production reason was that alien cultures wouldn't have the same uh, morals as humans would. And so, you know, the sense of privacy wouldn't be the same. But if you're watching it from a Western 20th, early 21st century point of view, it looks like a zoo. So I think that's kind of why they cut it out of the re-edit. Interesting. Didn't want to seem speciesist. <laughs> Something like that. Yeah. Um, I really liked that they have, like, the different areas of the ship with different atmospheres. And, you know, they have the oxygen masks and that kind of thing because that would make total sense. You know, yeah. aliens coming from a different planet would have a different atmosphere. <laughs> Did you also catch the whole rotation thing? So that, mm-hmm. the, yeah, the station rotates to create gravity so they were saying they can also alter the rotation of some areas if some species come from a higher or lower gravity. I thought that was pretty cool when I first saw it. Science. (laughs) Yeah. 
Now, yeah. would they have to stay in their quarters, or would they have, like, suits, like the Vorlon did to... I mean, how do you get a suit to... Um, I don't know, it's the future, so I guess they could do a suit that does gravity and stuff, but... Um, yeah, because I was, I was thinking, well, they'd have to stay in their little quarters. They couldn't go out to the casino or anything. Future yeah, because, uh, the, I don't know how to say her name. Delenn? Is that yeah. her name? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, she had, like, that ring or whatever that she made Jakar, like, with the gravity. I don't oh, know. Yeah. Something like that, I guess, could work. That's true. And... <laughs> For the sole benefit of the audience, Lita asks, why is it called Babylon 5? So like she's the viewer. <laughs> <laughs> yes, thank you for asking that question. That's what everybody wanted to know. Uh, and the answer is that Babylons 1 through 3 were destroyed during construction and Babylon 4 was just completely disappeared after going online. Well, clearly that's going to show up at some point during the series. I'm they guessing. have to. Yeah. We have to oh find God, out what happened to the limb. Yeah. <laughs> you reckon we'll find out what happened to it then? Oh, you have to. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> so check off Babylon Four. So <laughs> <laughs> the prediction that Five referred to the main races or a core group of characters. No, not exactly. Well, even though there are five main races, the five refers to the number of Babylon stations. True. So we're back in Sinclair's office and. The officers are having a discussion. They haven't been able to reach the Vorlon ambassador's ship for two days. And we find out that no human has ever seen a Vorlon. And we just don't know a whole lot about Vorlons. This drove me completely crazy. I want to see! (laughs) You will turn to stone. Well, actually, you won't. (laughs) I want to see! (laughs) Do you think we will see at some point? I don't know, because then, like, everything will change and then we'll we'll all just go crazy or something i don't know (laughs) so next we see some kind of mechanical spidery looking device attach itself to level eight of the station and begin to cut its way through the hole yeah i have um the first time i watched this i guess i was not paid attention to the um the cgi graphics because I did not <laughs> catch this at all. <laughs> I just saw a ship and I thought maybe they were just showing, you know, it was one of those transition shots where they're just showing a passage of time and showing. I wasn't paying attention. I didn't no. get this at all. So yeah, when they brought um, it up later, I was like, oh, okay. Yeah, honestly, when I was watching it, the, I was just thinking, this looks like an old computer game. <laughs> it does. It totally <laughs> does. So next we see the Membari ambassador named Delin who wants to see Sinclair in the garden. Delin is played by Mira Ferlan. She is she's from the former Yugoslavia and she's been in a lot of things that I can't pronounce, but she's best known outside of B five as the crazy French lady Danielle Rousseau on Lost. Oh, I know. I was so surprised to see her show up on Lost. I remember. I yeah, know. I remember when she showed up on Lost, and oh, it's the lead. And I might be remembering this wrong, but I think I saw her name in the credits before I saw her on the show. I was like, oh, it's Lynn. It's her. <laughs> wow. <laughs> On the commentary, JMS says that Delenn was originally supposed to be a male character, but they couldn't get 
the actress's voice to sound right, so they just made her a female. Yeah, um, it, again, in the original cut, they did actually play with the voice, had um, added a male aspect to it, um, and played with it a bit. And that's kind of also why you have some of the makeup. Um, she looks almost masculine in a bit of it because they were going for the androgyny. Interesting, because I had a thought. Uh, I think it was about the time that Jakar was talking to Lita about certain things. And I was thinking, you know, well, they should have, you know, some androgynous species or something that, you know, you wouldn't reproduce in the same way that humans reproduce. So that's what they were, they were kind of going for. Or they like, sell, I don't know, I don't want to get spoilery, but so they originally were going to have her played by a woman, but the voice was going to be a man. Right. A male well, voice. Okay. Well, sorry. Uh, you have the production notes. I'll just have the experience of watching the um, original edit. Yeah. Um, it's not, she was, she was going to be a man and she was going to transition to a female. I'll say that. But they ended up just making her female. Hmm. She was going to transition to a female. Is that like as part of a natural progression of their species or like through some kind of operation? I don't know. Oh, interesting. Hmm. So they're having a conversation and she says a bunch of deep stuff that I <laughs> didn't write down, but... <laughs> She's looking forward to meeting Ambassador Kosh in two days, and the humans may not know much about the Vorlons, but she knows a lot the Minbari do, and she gives Sinclair a copy of all of her files and says she'll deny it if anybody ever finds out she gave him that, and turns out that there is a war between the humans and the Minbari, and it's been about 10 years since it ended, but there's still some tension between those two races. Yeah, I really liked this, and I'm very intrigued by her character and her relationship with Sinclair and we'll get into more of it later but um like all of the deep stuff that she was saying I like <laughs> listened to a couple times and was like okay what is she talking about yeah. and I actually have some of it quoted so yeah me too and I, I agree with what you said there and I just I just assumed it was a metaphor for you know what was going to happen with the fifth ambassador coming and it was like a foreshadowing kind of thing mm -hmm. but yeah she's definitely very interested in her yeah so ambassador kosh arrives early and takashima is mad because they're just totally unprepared for it and we see a mysterious man go to visit barner in his quarters and when the door closes we hear a weapon discharge okay like if you know that you're coming to this uh station and that they have to make all these preparations for you maybe you should arrive on time <laughs> like they have to make sure that his atmosphere is right and all this stuff but it's like okay if that's not done then you can't really live there clearly kosh is a diva <laughs> yeah <laughs> don't look at me <laughs> he wants like, his, whatever i want he wants like his special wheatgrass milkshakes and <laughs> no brown m&ms <laughs> that's right vorlon is neither early nor late <laughs> <laughs> they're always on time because it's whenever we want to be on time yeah. but can i back up one second i think this is um it's, some, it's just a throwaway line that uh, sinclair says that that he can get hanged for this, and I was just going, "Wow, <laughs> are they still doing hangings? Like, 
I would just, I don't know. I hope we, I don't hope we, well, do we, do I hope we see a hanging at some point? I don't know. I should say so. Maybe I made anyway. a bigger speech, maybe. Okay. Now, when I first thought, when I first watched this, I thought it was just some figure of speech, yeah? Mm-hmm. Okay. Something left over from the dark ages. Of... <laughs> <laughs> Next, we see Sinclair get a call from a female friend named Carolyn, and she'll be arriving in time for the reception for Kasha's arrival. Carolyn was played by Blair Barron, who's been on... Seinfeld, Blossom, ER, Malcolm in the Middle, among other shows. Um, I had a slight problem because with birth, both her and Lita having pretty much the same color of red hair, there was a couple <laughs> of times that I got them confused and was like, wait, what is she? Oh, okay, wait, no. Uh, yeah, I figured out what was going on, but a couple times it did confuse me. Well, I was just amazed at their awesome 90s hairdos. <laughs> yes. This, it, it would surprise me how 90s some of the hairstyles and stuff were. It's like you can always tell when something, even if a film or TV show takes place in the past or in the future, you can always kind of tell when it was made because of the hairstyles. <laughs> <laughs> Them and the, the dude, <laughs> I don't know what his name is, but he was at the controls uh, he had that amazing, like, Jason Priestley or maybe a member of Color Me Bad hairdo. Anyways, <laughs> I liked it. Um, so Jakar finds Takashima, and he suddenly agrees that to, to have his ship scanned, but after Ambassador Kasha's ship has docked. Yeah, that was suspicious. Definitely. But I had no idea what was going on. Like it didn't Yeah, I really... didn't either, but I was like, yeah. Yeah, it didn't really, like raise a red flag or anything it was just kind of like okay like what is he up to yeah exactly i was like okay this is weird total, total turnaround and now we are in the casino and we see the centauri ambassador londo malari is having fun gambling and londo was played by peter jurassic jurassic and he's been on shows like dear john growing pains sliders and he was in that movie that came out recently 42 which was about jackie robinson and on the commentary, they explained that his hair <laughs> was originally supposed to be shorter than it is now. But uh, when they put it on him to get ready to cut it to the length it was supposed to be, the actor decided to play a joke on JMS. And he said, you know, I want it at the full length. And since JMS was new to producing at the time, he had been a showrunner before, he just said, OK, maybe I should just go with what the actor wants. And <laughs> He ended up with that hairdo for five years. <laughs> That's great. That's what you get for playing jokes. Yeah. <laughs> okay. But basically, the Centauris look like humans, but with different hair? There are other differences that we'll find out later. Okay. <laughs> this character, before I could really... I don't know. I remembered his name because it sounds like Lando. But... Um, <laughs> but <laughs> I kept calling him Gru in my head from Despicable Me because he kind of sounds like that character and he kind of looks like that character a little bit, even though that character's a cartoon. I've never seen that after. I don't think I've seen that. Elizabeth, you? I've seen it, but it was on a plane, so I don't oh. remember much. Well, just go and look at the picture, you guys, and like, it, 
it works. And the accent is actually pretty close too. Like it's Steve Carell, but it's, <laughs> it, yeah, it, he just totally reminded me of that character. <laughs> he kind of dresses um, like Napoleon. Yeah. Um, I had that in my notes. He I've got like something Napoleon on the Napoleon. whole uh, accent he's using there. Um, I might be wrong, but I'm sure I heard from the actor somewhere that he chose that accent because he felt the character was very Eastern European in concept, and so he kind of wanted an almost Eastern European Russian-type accent to kind of fully invoke that whole decaying empire feel of a character. Oh, interesting. Cool. Now, do we know why, or maybe it's a spoiler, why he, he was the one narrating the beginning and not just a generic narrator or... Yeah, they talked about that on the commentary. I think they just wanted to show right off the bat that this was a multi-species show. They just wanted to establish that from the beginning. Okay. His, um, I don't know, species or whatever is, the, they're the Centauri. Um, right. And yeah. they were previously, I guess it says they conquered the beta system in nine days. So they, they used to be pretty, like you said, you know, they used to be pretty dominant. And now, for whatever reason, they're not. Which it comes up later, I think, in his conversation with Garibaldi. Right. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's nice to just get these little glimpses, I guess, throughout the episode of, you know, where these, and I met, and I imagine, um, there are other, um, alien races that aren't of the big five, because we saw some random alien costumes throughout the episode, like, especially in the, the gathering places, like the bar and the casino. Yeah, there are other races, a lot of other races. Yeah, and if, I was just going to say, if you remember, um, Commander Sinclair said to Lita Alexander that the five races act as an advisory council. So that kind of implies there there's other races there who are have ambassadors and they're to ambassadorial things. So they would have ambassadors there as well. Okay. Okay, so Garibaldi arrives and informs Londo that Kasha has arrived early and Commander Sinclair wants Londo to be at the reception. Uh, Londo is lost all of his money even though he has a scheme and he tries to get Garibaldi to loan him money and he says no and this is where we find out that the Centauri once had a large empire but now they're not as great as they used to be and the creepo Dale Varner has overheard this conversation and wants to hear what Londo's plan is. Elsewhere we see that Lita has taken a job and she's using her telepathic powers to help a client in a, a negotiation Loved it. Yeah, she mm-hmm. it's her powers to catch this guy lying. And the guy who lied said he's going to kill the guy who thought of running <laughs> telepaths to businessmen. Jakar approaches Lita, and he explains that the Narn don't have telepaths in their species. And you know, we find out that Lita is at least a sixth-generation telepath. That's just how long they've been keeping track of that kind of thing. So Jakar offers her a deal to fix the fact that Norris don't have telepaths by offering to mate with her. Okay, this made me laugh so hard. It was just, <laughs> like, the way that he approached it, and it, oh, it was hilarious. I loved it. It was completely uh, something serious. That cut out, sorry, something that cut out the original, actually, 
pacing wise that kind of might add to this is before he starts a conversation he asks can I invoke privacy mode and kind of this uh, light bubble thing comes around them and all the ambient sound goes away so they're kind of in this intimate private room Hmm. Well, I was so, just trying to think of like the biological logistics of <laughs> direct meeting <laughs> between alien species, but yeah, she could be unconscious, I guess. But in, ter- <laughs> in terms of actually procreating, I'm not sure <laughs> that would work. He sounds like he's looked into it. <laughs> he would prefer her to be conscious, but <laughs> oh, pleasure oh, threshold. Wow. Reaper. <laughs> In the commentary, JMS said that in this show, they wanted to examine the role of the media. So during this scene, you can see newspapers and you can hear news broadcast in the background. Yes, I saw the Universe Today paper somebody was reading. I liked that. So next we see that uh, sorry, Kosh is cleared to dock in Bay 9. Commander Sinclair goes down to greet him, but the elevator he's in gets stuck. And while this is going on, Kosh arrives in his encounter suit and the atmosphere around him starts adjusting. Then the station alert sounds. But when Garibaldi and Sinclair get there, they find Kosh on the floor and Sinclair warns Garibaldi not to open the suit because it could kill him. So they take in Kosh to the med lab and there we meet Dr. Benjamin Kyle, played by Johnny Seca. He's had over 30 years of acting before he came to Babylon 5 but he didn't do anything after Babylon 5 and unfortunately he also passed away in 2006 oh my wow does it does it say anywhere where he's from because I was trying to place his accent or was that something that he was doing for the character I think he is oh I saw that but I don't remember off the top of my head you know I could look it up right quick but I'm pretty sure he's not American. He was born in Senegal. Okay, so Dr. Cal has started adjusting the med bay environment so he can open the suit, but Takashima comes in and says that the Borlon government doesn't want the suit open, but Sinclair isn't having it. He says <laughs> the doctor. He's a rule breaker. <laughs> rebel. Uh, since the doctor's bound by doctor confidentiality, doctor patient confidentiality, you know that's good enough for him. Once all recorders turned off, and when Doctor Kyle opens the suit, you see a bright light shine out. Yeah, that- I think that this is gonna definitely play a role in this character. I think he's gonna, I don't know, go crazy or Ooh. maybe. Yeah, maybe develop special mental abilities or something. I don't know. Something is going to be just different about him after this experience. Back in Sinclair's office, he's updating Earth Central. And we find out that the Vorlon government is suspicious that Kosh got ill right when he arrived at the station. And Garibaldi is handling the investigation, even though Earth government may not have confidence in Garibaldi. Yeah, that was interesting. Sort of bounced from one job to the other, so hopefully get a little bit more background on his um, troubles. So Sinclair goes back to his quarters and finds Carolyn in his bed, and she promises to make everything better. 
with the frictionless sheets, which does not sound safe to me, but okay. <laughs> just slide <laughs> off the bed. In med lab, we see that Dr. Cal is tired, but he's found a foreign compound in Ambassador Kosh, and the prognosis is terminal. So he calls up Sinclair and says that Kosh will die in less than 24 hours if nothing can be done. Sinclair tells security that there has been an assassination attempt and seals off the station. In Delin's quarters, Jakar and Delin are having a discussion. Jakar thinks that Londo was responsible for the assassination attempt because Londo wasn't the, he was the only one that wasn't there because Dale Varner held him up at the casino. But he thinks that since the Centauri Empire is fading, that they may be trying to start a war and they may align with Earth. So he wants the Narn and the Membari to align together and Delenn isn't having it. She says Jakar might you know, hate the Centauri because the Centauri once occupied the Narn homeworld. And Jakar gets upset and he brings up the fact that the Membari were on the verge of winning the war against the humans, but they suddenly surrendered with no explanation. And Delenn says, you know, we had our reasons. But Jakar is hurt that the decision to surrender came from a secret group of Minbari holy men called the Grey Cancel. And Delin pulls out a ring and uses it against Jakar and tells him to never mention the Grey Council in her presence again. Yeah, she may have overreacted a little bit. Um, that was <laughs> a, kind of a surprising to me. Like, you could not even say the name of this Grey Council. Um, not that Jakar didn't deserve <laughs> something, um, but we find that out later. But yeah, I mean, that was an interesting expository scene. Um, so we find out that the... Let's see if I get this right. The um, the Mumbari are the oldest of the five um, races, and the Narn are the youngest. That's right, right? Yeah, I believe that's what they said. Okay. Okay, because I was just kind of writing these these names down. I think that was the first time we've heard the name or of the Mimbari. No, maybe not. I think they mentioned it earlier. Maybe I just know that. <coughs> yeah. So, but it was very, I like this scene because it was, you know, obviously set up for reveals to come later. Mm-hmm. There was a lot of information that I know I didn't pick up on half of it. And like upon rewatch, I'll probably be like, oh, this was set up, you know, this. There was a point to this, which I knew there was, but I couldn't remember all of it. And part of it didn't make sense. And it also kind of veiled the fact that I totally should have picked up on the fact that Jakar was in on this whole thing just some of the things that he was saying it's he definitely dropped hints that he was a part of it because it was like he was trying to blame londo and you know he was trying to place blame elsewhere to make it he was trying to hard yeah make it look like he had nothing to do with it yeah and so Londo, we know Londo was supposed to be there because Garibaldi came and told him was it Garibaldi I think came and told him to, to be there mm-hmm. but the other ones weren't there were they? It was just the um, Earth staff right? Yeah that's all we saw because they were waiting outside the door to get in. Yeah 
Maybe we were the, they were just around the corner where um, Garibaldi had just come <laughs> from, like... and Lando wasn't there. Yeah, maybe. Because okay. <laughs> I was like, you guys weren't there either. Come on. <laughs> I, I didn't get it. I didn't understand why Londo had to be there and nobody else did. So, okay, maybe they were supposed to be there, and they were, but they just didn't show it. Maybe they were in a like a yeah. special room that they were supposed to be in, yeah, and Londo separate. wasn't there. Yeah. Okay. I'll hand wave it. Yeah. So down in the Zocalo, it's the part of the station where the casino is, Garibaldi finds Londo to ask him where he was, and Londo says he was in the casino, and that Dale Barner promised to back his bets but backed out, and Lena can confirm his story because she talked to him later. And Londo explains that He's only on the station to grovel before the Earth and Lawrence and try to attach the Centauri to their destiny. And then he goes on to lament on how the Centauri Republic has fallen from power. And on the commentary at this point, I don't know if you remember seeing the guy in the gorilla suit, but you could tell that JMS kind of cringed when that guy showed up. He was kind of embarrassed by that. Just thought it looked. You mean the bartender? Yeah, the bartender. <laughs> he looked. Oh yeah, it looked like foam or whatever, like a rubber. Definitely looked fake, but you know. But th- this is what kind of confused me because Londo is saying that Del Varner it, agreed to back his bets. So I just assumed that Del was there the whole time, you know, backing his bets or whatever, like with him gambling. But I guess he must have just said, "Oh, I'll back your bets" to keep him there. And then just left or something. No, he was. Wasn't wasn't he there when Garibaldi came? He was off to the side talking to someone. Afterwards, but how? <clears throat> if he was already dead, because he was killed earlier in the in the show in mm-hmm. the episode, and then he was just a hologram. Um, then he would the hologram guy would have had to go to meet the Kosh. Right? To kill him or to poison yeah, him. Yeah, to poison him. Ah, oh, true. But the but the actual um like going to meet Kosh, I think happened a little bit after um Varner talked to Londo. Like there was a little bit of time in between. So oh, maybe no, yeah, it did, yeah. yeah. I think you're right that it just that he like maybe got him gambling again and forgot about the time. Because he wasn't with him at the time that he was supposed to be there. Because that's what I was picking up from it, that he was, that he, I, I, they never said it specifically. I just assumed that when he said that Dell agreed to back him, that Dell was there with him the whole time. But I guess what they really meant was Dell agreed to back him just so Londa would stay and not go to meet the ambassador. And Mm -hmm. um, then he just left and left him gambling, thinking that he was, his bets are being covered or something. Yeah, I think so. Because that kind of confused me during the when they were kind of talking about what happened. And I was like, wait a minute. So next we see Dr. Kyle visiting Takashima in her quarters. And he's been taking stems to stay alert. And he can't figure out what's happened to Kosh. But he says that since Kosh knows exactly what happened, maybe someone should telepathically scan Kosh. And Takashima agrees to go along with it. But... They want to do it in secret so that Sinclair can't be blamed for what happened because at a previous point, Sinclair helped her out. Yeah, so I really liked this scene. It, I think this is where um, 
where maybe the bad acting didn't phase me anymore, but it's like I like the the character of Takashima. Like she's she's growing her own coffee and she's not supposed to be, and then she's like gonna go along with the doctor. She's a little bit of a rule breaker when there's a need for it, or maybe just when she wants to be because she's growing coffee and she's not supposed to. <laughs> Yeah, well, she does, she actually says it's about time I break the rules, but she's already breaking the rules growing the coffee, so... You're right. <laughs> the yeah, important rules. <laughs> yeah, because it seems like she was breaking the rules a lot before, and then when Sinclair took a chance on her, she decided to go straight. But can yeah. I just briefly say something about... Okay, so when he said stims... My mind automatically goes to Battlestar Galactica. But is that a real thing? Because I tried to look it up, and the only thing I could think that I could see, I don't know why, just the little point, I was like, I'd never heard anybody use that in real life. And uh, apparently it's really only, I guess, done by, you know, people, a lot of autistic people, I guess, will do it to, you know, it's like a tick, but it's nothing like what they mean here, which is like a, a drug or a stimulant. Right. So, I don't know. A tiny little point. I think it's just one of those sci-fi things that maybe. I mean, yeah, it's easy to tell what it's gonna what it what they mean. Right. But it's a little different, you know. <laughs> maybe BSG like picked it up from here or something. Sci-fi mm. slang. Yeah. Mm. We also learned from her backstory that, or were you were you gonna go into that? Just. I know. Go ahead. Oh, that um, the Earth had a Mars colony, so that's that's a new thing we learned. So they branched out into the different planets, I guess. Figured out how to live on Mars, and then they had food riots. So, Which apparently is happening right now. They're going to send people to live on Mars. Huh? They are, because there's like eight finalists in Utah, and they, it's a Ooh. one-way ticket. Okay. They'll never, they'll never come home. They've been talking about it on the news, because there's this one guy that's like a fairly young guy. He's a father, and he wants to go and live on Mars. Ugh. And leave his family. It's like, okay. Wow. That's crazy. Man, I don't know. Just uh, never come home. I don't know. Yeah, I know. I'd be like, okay, um, maybe for a week. <laughs> <laughs> there's, there's a really cool set of novels about setting up a Mars colony. Um, it's a Mars trilogy. You start with Red Mars, and it's by an author called Kim Stanley Robinson, He's done another couple of popular books about um, climate change and stuff, but it's a really great sci-fi novel about setting up a Mars colony. Cool. Yeah. Lita, back in Med Bay, doesn't want to do the scan because an unauthorized scan can get her thrown out of the Psycor. I think this is the first mention of the Psycor. But in the end, she does agree to do it to help prevent a possible warlong retaliation for Kashi's death. And she asks the doctor if he'll remember the contact, but the doctor doesn't think he will, but he's not sure. Elsewhere, Garibaldi informs Sinclair that the elevator's access record doesn't show any malfunction from earlier in the episode, but the records could have been tampered. And then we see. Is this the scene where they're on that transport that looks like they're on a Disney ride because they have those <laughs> those roller coaster um, braces over their bodies? Yeah. It is, and I, I like, have that, that exact note. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, it looks like they're on a roller coaster ride. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, yeah, more like a roller coaster than Disney ride, but yeah, for sure. The thing I was like, that looks like fun! This... <laughs> the thing that gets me about this scene is they're discussing all this really important information in public, <laughs> right, right next to other commuters. <laughs> They said on the commentary that this part of the station doesn't have gravity, so they have to be strapped in. To, to oh, okay. Well, that makes sense. So we see that the little machine is still outside the station, and there's a tech named Guerra. He informs us that the pressure is dropping, so he's going to send a maintenance bot to check it out. Guerra is played by Ed Wasser, who's been on shows like Sliders 24 and Quantum Leap. He came to them as a reader, the guy who, off camera, he reads lines to actors on auditions, and they liked him so much that they wanted to use him on the show. Cool. Good for him. So back in Med Lab, Lita can't get through to Kosh because of the suit, so she decides to touch him to uh, intensify the contact, and she reads his mind and sees Sinclair greeting Kosh. Kosh says, Intilzal Valen. And they shake hands, and we see Sinclair slapping something on Kasha's hand. And she names Sinclair as Kasha's attacker. On the comment- In a very, very dramatic way. Yes. Yeah, oh, that was, that was my season. <laughs> I'm going to hand wave this in the end. But um, the vision that she sees was ridiculous. And... Because I don't understand how... No, they later explain that it was... That it's like a hologram, right? And I think, like, um, there's, a, there's another part that's also ridiculous. But they explain that it's a hologram, this changeling. So how does it have the voice of Sinclair? I mean, it um, should have well, the voice of the person wearing the tech, right? Well, you notice in the vision, which um, Lita actually says, this vision is from her point of view. It's subjective, yes. so... You know, Lita would see her hand reaching out, uh, and that's what we're seeing in the vision. And you notice Sinclair in the vision doesn't say anything. Yes, he does. He, he doesn't. He does. The, he the, says the, nice. He, he says something when he reaches his hand out to shake. Oh, oh does, sorry. I'm, I must be thinking of the original cut. And because also later, when the hologram is taking the form of Lita. And she's in the med lab. She also says something to the doctor, and she has Lita's and has Lita's voice. So I'm calling was... BS on that, but that's okay. I'll hand wave it. But the other question I had is how I know that they were basically as you were seeing her hand reaching out to shake Sinclair's hand in her vision. I don't know why her hand was all brightly lit or whatever. But so are they saying that he was poisoned through the suit? Yeah, that's true. Um, he's completely covered. It, it it doesn't make sense. It's it's a problem in the story. I think I I can't give you an answer. Yeah. Okay. All right. I'll hand wave it, but I just wanted to bring it up. That's all. Well, um, glad you did. On <laughs> on the commentary, JMS said the part where Lita the dramatic naming of Sinclair as the attacker. He said that was very much overdone and part of it was his fault because of the writing. So he took credit for that. Oh, like in the script he had directions that was like point dramatically and <laughs> back away while yeah. shaking your head and that was awesome. I enjoyed that. <laughs> so because of Lita's vision, 
what they learned, they were able to locate the poison in Kosh and they're working on a counter agent. And we find out that the council will convene to determine Sinclair's fate. On the commentary, JMS said that he wanted there to be an awareness of what was going on at Earth because some franchises, which he wouldn't name, and some franchises you hardly ever see what's happening on Earth. Star Trek? Oh, no. Well, back up one second. Okay. So the the um, the poison was called fluorazine. It was from the Damocles sector, and that's the sector that Carolyn um, Sinclair's girlfriend was just in, right? Right, I have that. So is this supposed to be just a kawinky dink, or were they did they deliberately pick this knowing that she was coming from there to set him up? Yeah, they were trying to set Sinclair up, I believe. Mm-hmm. Okay. I think so too. Okay. So outside, we see the spider device destroy the maintenance drone, which I thought the graphics were looking pretty cool in that, in that scene. Again, I had no idea what was going on. <laughs> totally went over my head the first time I watched it. I wasn't paying attention. We see Varna get on an elevator with someone, and we, see, we hear a weapon discharge, and then when the door opens, that someone walks off the elevator. Poor this Eric. is when I figured out they had a, something to make people look like other people. Right. Okay, so in the, the council hearing, the doctor won't identify who his witness is because leader requested an anonymity. And this is where we find out that the poison came from the Damocles sector and Carolyn had just returned from there and arrived 20 minutes before Kasha's ship docked. Garibaldi in his investigation finds out that Dale Warner has a criminal record smuggling a lot of forbidden technology and that he does a lot of business with the Centauri. So it doesn't make sense that he would have wanted to upset Londo by not backing his bets. Varner is also in a lot of debt to the uh, he's also in a lot of debt so he couldn't have backed Londo in if he wanted to so a lot of things just don't make sense I definitely thought that it was like a shapeshifter thing going on so like some sort of creature that could just take the shape of somebody else Mm -hmm. especially when he kept shooting people and then they would walk out rather than him so we see Londo greet Jakar. So we see Jakar greet Londo, and he wants to discuss Londo's boat with him. So next we see the council again, and Jakar suggests that Sinclair be sent to the Vorlon homeworld to stand trial for murder. I wrote Mordor instead of murder. <laughs> <laughs> well, they're going to send him to Mordor, and <laughs> one does not simply. Walking enough. <laughs> <laughs> so they take a boat. Earth boats, no. The Minbari abstain. The Centauri boat, yes. So it's a deadlock. But we find out that Jakar has communicated with the Borlon homeworld and they vote, yes. So Sinclair is to be sent to the Borlon homeworld to stand trial. Yeah, I was very suspicious about this abstaining vote. Yeah. I was like, what is she doing? Is she in on this too? What is she? Yeah. So Garibaldi enters Varner's quarters and they find Dale Varner's body. In MedLab, the doctor has found a way to treat Ambassador Kosh. There are a lot of like quick cutting from one scene, one location to the next. Uh huh. 
And next we see Carolyn talking to Delenn. She's upset that Delenn didn't try to stop Sinclair from being sent to the homework, well on homework for trial. Delenn says she didn't have all the facts and she kept her orders, which is on the matter of Sinclair, she's there strictly to observe. Yeah, I have theories. <laughs> but it's more about information that we learn later, so. Another thing, this scene, again, wasn't in the original edit. I don't think... Yeah, definitely this wasn't in the original cut. I don't know why they cut this scene out originally, because it adds so much colour to to things, but maybe it was just that they wanted to cut down the length of the episode a bit. Yeah, because I think, you know, up until now... You, you can sense that Sinclair and Delenn have, you know, a pretty good relationship, but it's only now that you kind of get confirmed that, you know, they really are good friends and, you know, and she even knows Carolyn and um, Carolyn's really upset that she abstained. So you clearly they have a good, I mean, a really good relationship. So I think this was good. And plus when she says, you know, she's there to observe Sinclair. So that's obviously a really good clue. So Jakar meets up with Lita and he tells her that there's been some complications and we see that Jakar has gill implants. Kind of gross. Pretty cool. <laughs> Next we see Londo talking to Garibaldi and says that he has great respect for Sinclair and explains that Londo was bo- he explains that Jakar blackmailed him into voting against Sheridan because Jakar had evidence that Londo's ancestors did something shameful during the non-Narn occupation and he apologizes for voting against Sheridan. Yeah, I want to hear more about all of this. (laughs) You get real insight here into, you know, basically Centauri politics is based on reputation. So, again, a nice bit of colour to the whole universe, I think. They just drop these little things in here, and it just brings the universe alive, I think. Mm Mm-hmm. So we see Sinclair in his quarters, and he's getting ready to leave. He's looking at a medal that he receives, and he gets upset and throws it against the wall. Carolyn comes in and tells him that he needs to fight. She picks picks up his medal and finds out that he was in the battle on the, the Battle of the Line, which was the biggest battle of the Earth-Minbari War, and find out that Sinclair just doesn't like to talk about it. It's, during the battle, he lost his team, and at one point, he blacked out and came to 24 hours later. And when he came to, he found out that the war was over, and you know, they were treated like heroes, but he feels like a fraud. But in the end, he decides that he needs to go and get some answers. He decides to fight. This was all just so intriguing and um do we have a spot at the end for overall theories or just for the next episode oh we can do that at the end just okay i'll i'll save my my theory but i do have one uh note on this scene besides my theory um one of them i think i think carolyn refers to them as earthers that mm-hmm. sounds so ridiculous. Steve, <laughs> think of another name for people from Earth. <laughs> yes, I totally noticed that too. But the other thing, I guess, if you think about it, is um, 
you know, when he was describing a battle, it, it wasn't a lot of description, but you can sense that it was a space battle that was taking place, you know, just outside of Earth. And um, the, uh, I'm sorry, the um, Mumbari were attacking Earth. Right. So we're in a future. The Mumbari are the oldest of the races, and they are hostile for some reason towards Earth. Uh, doesn't say why. Um, and they want to, but they either don't have the capability of just blowing the planet up, or they don't want to for some reason. So they're just having a little spaceship battle. I don't know. It's interesting to me. Does it ever? Do we ever get into that, or is it just something that they're talking about for? That would be a spoiler. Well, okay, yeah, that's true. <laughs> that's true. That's true. Why am I asking? Um, but so <laughs> pretty I, much, I guess, if you ask a question, they can't answer us. So. <laughs> yes, just sit there, just sit there silently. But yeah, so that's, I was kind of thinking about that. You know, I mean, if they're this hugely advanced society that obviously travels universes. Um, they should have the capability to just completely annihilate a planet and not have a little piddly space battle. Um, so either they don't have the technology for some reason or they do and they didn't use it because they wanted, there was other reasons that they wanted Earth either to take it over or, or for whatever reason. And then, of course, the, the, then it's revealed that they completely just um, gave up for weird reasons that we don't quite know yet. Right, they surrendered. Right, they surrendered. Even though yes. they clearly were winning. Right. right, very strange. This whole thing, um, like the story and the fact that Sinclair was like in the war and on the front lines and all that stuff, it very much reminded me of Firefly and oh, yeah. uh, mm. Battle of Serenity and it's, it's almost like it's it's a case of if the opposite happened. So, like, if Malcolm Reynolds wins at the Battle of Serenity, then maybe he's still aligned with the government and on a space station. <laughs> you know, it's almost <laughs> well, like the well, what if. Almost, yeah, but what would have happened to Mal if the Alliance hadn't won but surrendered to, you know, the browncoats mm-hmm. just as they were about to wipe out all browncoats? Yeah, it, it's that sort of thing. It, it's just inconceivable. Exactly, and it's totally like if I think about that, I'm like, okay, well, what what is the alliance planning that's so much bigger than this? And so now I'm going, okay, well, this surrender had to be part of some bigger plan, and the theories are rolling around in my brain. So next we see Lita go visit Doctor Cal in the med bay med lab. Dr. Kyle comes to the realization that she and Garibaldi couldn't have seen Varner in the casino because he's examined the body and his death, this time of death would have been before that point. So then Lita attempts to kill Kosh, but the doctor injures her. And on the commentary, they comment about how bad this fight scene looked because she like, swung oh at him. Oh my yeah, God. Here. I lol so hard <laughs> yeah. when she slapped him. That was awesome. And there were a couple of times where he didn't even come close to being hit, but he like reacted like he had been hit. And also, why is there a random medical laser in the middle of the <laughs> room? <laughs> <laughs> so then we see Sinclair arrive with the real leader, 
and fake Lita fires at them and leaves. And a little bit later, we see fake Lita's face start to change. So then we realize that the Lita who met with Jakar earlier wasn't the real Lita. Oh, was it? Oh. Or was it? <laughs> well, okay, well, some of us realized. Oh, I, I didn't. <laughs> I was still trying to figure out what was going on in that earlier scene. Now it makes total sense. Well, the Gil scene, the, the scene in the casino, I guess that was the real leader, right? Right, the Gil scene, yeah. I thought that was the real Lita. And yeah, I think it was. I mean, no, the Gil scene was the fake. Yeah, so, I thought yeah. that, I don't know, maybe he was still talking to her about his proposition or something. But now that you say that, it really does make more sense. Because I thought that scene was just totally out of place and why was it there? Yeah, he said well, he did, say, yeah, he did say in the Gil scene, we have a problem. Yeah, I, but I thought he was referring to their mating. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I didn't, actually didn't no, no, so that wasn't her. That was the, whatever the hologram. Yes. See, thank you. Okay. It was. It wasn't. It wasn't yeah. obvious. Okay. <laughs> yeah, because he was explaining like his gills and stuff. Things that you would think. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I can see. I don't know. Okay, so at this point, the intruder spider vessel has been brought into the station, and since this is a short-range vessel. They realized that another vessel must have brought it there and dropped it off and that someone on the station must be providing support. Also, they have found the body of an environmental tech named Hazel Teen. He's been dead for a while, but his co-workers say that they've seen him recently. And Garibaldi has discovered that Varner had bought a changeling, a changeling net, which can be used to alter one's appearance. And they scan it uses up a lot of energy, so they scan for energy uses and find the location of the intruder, and they go after him, and Sinclair takes a recorder with him just so they'll have a record for what's going on after what happens. They go after him with, like, the most unwieldy weapons <laughs> that are possible. It looked like they were, they were, they were using, like, t-shirt guns or something. Yeah. They were so big. <laughs> what happened to the little hand lasers? Those, those seem to be a little bit better. Yeah, they joked about that on the commentary. I don't think we're going to see those again. <laughs> okay. How bad looking they are. <laughs> and at this point, the Vorlon ships arrive on the station. I think the Vorlon ships just look so cool. It does. Mm-hmm. Sorry, I was going to say, did you notice something about how um, Ambassador Koss's ship entered and how the fleet entered? There's actually something quite... Interesting, I say the interesting, a, a little scientific accuracy that I went for here. Um, Volant ambassador ship, uh, Koss's ship, came out backwards uh, from the jump gate and opened um, whatever it is it opens up to collect sun. He opens up these petals to collect energy and is decelerating before he docks, whereas the Warships come out head on, ready for battle, because they don't need to decelerate at all, um, because they're there for a fight. Hmm. It's something they actively put into the special effects for scientific accuracy. Well, I was wondering about the the structure of the ambassador's ship because it seemed so. Str- I didn't realize that it was collecting energy. 
from stars or whatever. Uh, well, that's the, sun... the impression I got. Sorry, it's the impression oh, okay. I get from it. I mean, I, it could be doing something else, but those panels when it opens out look like solar panels, don't they? So I thought that's what it was doing. Oh, okay. Yeah, I didn't get that. I mean, I just I didn't know. Like, I was just I was just thinking about how you know all the sci the sci fi shows have different looking spaceships. And just like what the uses could be, or are they just trying to make cool looking spaceships? Because that was a cool looking one. Mm-hmm. Like a little flower. Yeah. Yeah, I really liked it. So, Heidi's prediction we'll see cool spaceships with bad CGI. I don't know about that one. <laughs> I think they're. Yeah, cool. the, well, I don't know. There was really bad CGI earlier with the little ship the spiders, that attached to yeah. it. Yeah, that one. That I'll, one was bad. I'll give you that one. <laughs> Ding. So Garibaldi and Sinclair go down and find the intruder, but Garibaldi is injured. Sinclair decides to go ahead, leaving Garibaldi behind. And somehow, for some reason, Delin shows up. I, I don't know if I missed something, but it seemed like she just showed up out of nowhere to help Garibaldi out. Yeah, she did. Uh-huh. <laughs> she did. <laughs> okay. Maybe um, she was thinking about the conversation she had with Carolyn and somehow tapped into the feed um, that they were sending out. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> yeah, Takashima decides to send the signal to the Vorlon ship, but the Vorlon say we want Sinclair in five minutes or else. So back down into the station. Uh, they say on the commentary that this is the beginnings of what they call the down below, the innards of the station. Okay. Oh. So the intruder attacks Sinclair from behind and they fight and in the fight the changeling net is damaged and we see the intruder's true form that he's a Minbari. The Minbari was played by Greg Aronowitz, traditionally a prop guy. He's been a prop guy on a lot of shows like Happy Endings. He was on an episode of Community and a new Fox show that just debuted Friday night called Enlisted. And he also worked on the Guild Felicia Day's show. First time I saw this, I, when it, when they revealed him, because I wasn't so familiar with the characters, I thought he was of the um, Narn. I don't know. I, I guess I was so confused. I mean, I, I didn't know the names. Like, the second time I watched it, I really made a point to write down the character names and the 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 races names and everything but the first time i watched it i i just i don't know i just assumed that he was one of the jakar's race i didn't i couldn't differentiate really well yeah. between the facial structures yet so i was a little confused at that point and it got cleared up of course but so sinclair asked the assassin why he did it and he responds with there is a hole in your mind and then he blows himself up and the explosion causes the station to move but they manage to stabilize it a couple of notes on the commentary you know jms said that he if he had a choice he would have done that part over the part with the station going out of control just because it happens so much on sci-fi shows and they said that whenever something went wrong on the show on the set they would look at each other and say there is a hole in your mind it's kind of a joke <laughs> So after that, Carolyn has to leave and she suggests that Sinclair come with her. He says no and she says, I'll wait, but I won't wait forever. In the med lab, Kosh is out of 
critical condition. Delenn is regretful that Amenbari was responsible for everything. She happened to recognize the markings and figured out who he was and gives Sinclair a full record of his travels. Takashima asked the doctor what he saw inside Kasha's suit and he says, he's looked upon the face of a warlord and nothing is the same anymore. <laughs> oh my god, this was so, this was done without any irony. But I kept, this was, you know, this was like a 20 year old show, right? So <laughs> I'm used to like irony in shows. So I was like waiting for him to go, JK, <laughs> nothing <laughs> happened. <laughs> <laughs> he was so earnest about it. Oh, yeah. it, was, it was hard to take. I'm sorry. Yeah, they were <laughs> commenting on that on the commentary and they were kind of unhappy with the way that came across. The performance <laughs> wasn't, you know, how they wanted it to be. Uh, I thought I wrote it down somewhere, but JMS made a uh, comment on the commentary about how he he tends to overwrite sometimes, especially when he does monologues. And then he kind of brought that fact up again in this next scene where Sinclair does a very long monologue. So basically, Jakar is summoned to Sinclair's quarters and they have a toast. And Sinclair says, Now, the assassin belonged to a branch of the Mimbari warrior caste that split from the government after the war. And Del Varner spent a lot of time working for the non government, bringing forbidden technology across the Narn border. And his logs show uh, they speak of a big payoff for bringing a changeling net across the border. Varner was supposed to meet a potential buyer in the same sector that Jakar's supply ship from early in the episode had been in, but Varner ran late. So Sinclair's theory is that the assassin was brought there on the Narn ship, and since Varner got there late uh, the, with the changeling net, he couldn't, you know, he couldn't have him and Bari seen getting off a Narn ship, so they used that spider ship to get him inside the station. So. Jakar says, you don't have any proof of this, and Sinclair agrees, but using a little bit of mind trickery, he <laughs> says that, you know, that drink you just drank had a piece of nanotechnology in it, a transmitter, and it's probably affixed to your intestines right now, and if anything ever happens to B5, then my people have instructions to track you down. And after this, Jakar storms off and tells Garibaldi, uh, sorry, Sinclair tells Garibaldi that it was just a lie. I really loved that. Like, it was, the scene was super long and super like, um, here, let us tell you exactly what happened. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but the fact that he convinced him that he had this transmitter inside of him was, it was, it was really good. Mm-hmm. I liked it too. Next scene, we have the reception for Kosh finally taking place and Kosh just kind of nods at them. Uh, one thing I forgot to mention, well, inside Kosh's suit is a guy named Jeffrey Wilhurth. He was a, I think he was a producer on the show, Ian, right? Um, Towards the end, he was. Actually, at this point, Jeffrey Wilhurth isn't in the suit. Okay. He, he actually says um, elsewhere that um, he didn't start inside the suit until later on. They had two other people. They had um, someone for the gathering and then another person for the beginning of the series. And then at some point, he he starts um, wearing the suit uh, permanently. 
But Jeffrey Wilhertz was one of the co-hosts of the old Babylon podcast. So that's how I first came aware of him. Yeah, that's where I uh, first heard of him. And I think actually that anecdote's from something he says on the um, beef, uh, the Babylon 5 podcast. The Babylon podcast. Um, and- is it just me in this end scene? There's a Kurt or Kosh, and it almost looks like he's embarrassed. Oh, that they're giving him that attention? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, 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 it's completely in my head, but the <laughs> way it's edited together, it almost looks that way. The voice of Kosh, we heard him speak for like two words earlier in the episode, in that vision that Lita had, was done by R. Dwight Chamberlain. He, you know, he does a lot of voice work, but he was actually a writer... He wrote two episodes of an animated show called Cops Fighting Crime in a Future Time. Huh. If you listen to Intro to X, that came up in the episode that I was on a few weeks ago. Sinclair leaves the reception and goes to the garden for a little while, and Delenn joins him, and he tells her what the assassin said, there's a hole in your mind. And she says, oh, it's just a old Minbari insult, and there's nothing to worry about. He explains to her that there's a 24-hour period that she, that he can't account for. And her response is very carefully worded. She says, she, I would never tell you anything that wasn't in your best interest. Mm-hmm. He just kind of smiles and says, yeah, we'll talk about this later. Hmm. Yeah, this is definitely coming back. <laughs> and she asks the question, why Babylon 5? Why did you build another station after what happened to the others? And... His answer is that it's just plain old human stubbornness. Uh, if we build something and it's destroyed, we rebuild it. And I didn't write down the quote but from that Sinclair uses from Tennyson, but he said that he's used it on every show that he's done. Hmm. Oh, really? Yeah. Wait, uh, JMS said that? Yeah, JMS, sorry. Oh. <laughs> and after that, Lieutenant Takashima declares Babylon 5 open for business. That's the Yay! End. A couple of notes... JMS admitted that this episode is a lot more exposition heavy than he would have liked. And, oh, this is where he said he tends to overwrite, especially when he does monologues. And, <laughs> and at the end, he said that he could never do Babylon 5 again. It almost killed him the first time. It would definitely kill him the second time. Well, yeah, he wrote like 90% of the episode. Like, yeah. yeah. So, Ian, were there any other differences between the versions that you... Yeah, yeah, there were. Um, first up, really, um, the monologue at the beginning from Londo is different. Um, in the original version, he kind of emphasises the danger Delvana has to the station over, you know, the importance of it going online and stuff. Um Additionally, I found a opening prologue that wasn't recorded that JMS wrote. I've got it open here if you want me to read it. Sure. sure. It starts off in black and we hear a female uh, voice of a news broadcaster continue to bring you updates on Interplanetary News Network, which they later changed to Interstellar News Network by the way, uh, and then it goes to say the picture gradually fades into an image of Babylon 5, sli- Babylon 5 slightly washed out as if we're seeing it on a TV and the female voice continues. In other news, 
the Earth Alliance space station Babylon 5 celebrates its first year in operation with the imminent arrival of an ambassador from the Volon Empire. And then it goes into a montage of shots that we kind of did get in the original opening and um, the voiceover continues. Located in neutral territory, Babylon 5 has exceeded all expectations in dealing with many life forms that pass through the five mile long station. As a result, Earth Central has approved appropriation bill to keep the orbiting freeport open to travellers, businessmen and diplomats for another five years. And then the image shifts towards the picture continues uh, to recycle into the distance with only a few inches from the grainy black and white image. I'm not sure exactly what that means. And then it, it goes on to meanwhile a new binary star has been discovered by Mars colony scientists has been named Kennedy Proxima after the 20th century president John F. Kennedy born 340 years ago this week and then um, we get a um, small picture framed by stars receding rapidly from view we see footage of JFK speaking before the Democratic Convention the eve of his presidential nomination it, uh, you get a quote from Kennedy here I believe that the times require imagination and courage and perseverance I'm asking each one of you to be pioneers towards that new frontier my call is to the young at heart regardless of age to the stouter spirit regardless of party to all those who respond to the scriptural call, be strong and of good courage. Be not afraid, neither be dismayed. For courage, not complacency, is our need today. Under this, the image of Kennedy is meant to recede further into the distance, growing smaller and smaller until it's one of many surrounding stars in the blackness of space and the music rises and um, the images pans up to reveal Babylon 5 and then you get Laurel Takashima here saying confirm Delta Gamma Niner you are cleared for docking so he wrote that um, opening prologue and never recorded it um, he instead went for the Lando opening hmm. Interesting. <clears throat> I don't know what I think about that I, I like some of the details he had in the other one like that it was five miles long. We didn't get that information in the uh, in this opening, did we? No, we didn't. Well, they, they use different um, ways of describing the people that come to um, the station because I believe in the Londo one, they said something about smugglers and refugees. Um, as Those were like the first ones they used. And then in this, the other one, it was more about um, you know, it was a little more official sounding. Yeah. Again, though, it's meant to be a uh, news report, so they use slightly different words and oh, have true. a different point of view, wouldn't they? So, I mean, it's an interesting way they could have gone, but he, it, it's just not the route they took. Also, um, in the original thing, the music was very different. The music we've got now is from the composer for the rest of the series, called Christoph Beck. 
Christoph um, Beck is the composer? I think his name was Christoph Beck, isn't that right? It was Will? Christopher Frank. Oh, sorry, I got confused. Yeah. <laughs> okay, because Christoph it, Beck it, is it, a composer for Buffy. Well, he's the first uh-huh. yeah, 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 yeah. I got confused. Uh, I, I kind of do because, you know, Christopher Frank and Christoph Beck, it, it, mm, you can see what happened there. Yeah. Yeah, but it's Christoph Frankie. Um, Whereas the original music was kind of just stock music, um, and it kind of had this very synthesized poppy feel to it, and it did wasn't really inspiring at all. Um, that that's two really obvious changes, and then as I said, there's a few scenes that aren't in um, the later version. Um, and there is one other difference I've noted down, but that, that'll be for the quote section. Yeah, uh, I think they've just edited it slightly differently to emphasise different elements in the series and to kind of produce a better pilot um, later on. Well, before we move forward, how about a quick promo from Nutty Bites? Hi, I'm Nukchas, the host of Nutty Bites. And hi, I'm Tech, Nutty's regular guest. Or antagonist. Our podcast is like a call-in show where geeks get to debate topics about speculative fiction. We don't really debate. Sure we do. We debate topics such as lame superpowers, the best villains, and our favorite apocalypses. We're more like rant, rave, and then have massive nerd rages. People call in from all over the world, sometimes minor celebrities, and we've even had some supervillains show up. Do you ever notice that you never have any superheroes or good guys? I'm a good guy. Compared to what? Antagonist. Not really a guest. Nutty Bites. Nimlast.org. Nuchas was responsible for the cool artwork we have if you're listening to us on your MP3 player or phone. It's the, her artwork. It's the artwork that you see. Thank you, Nutty. Yeah. Uh, thanks, Nutty. And also a quick shout out to the Geek Girl Soup podcast on their latest episode, episode 76.2. They talked about Babylon 5, but I haven't listened to it yet, but I do understand that there are spoilers. So beware if you haven't seen the show yet. So now about some quotes of the week. Heidi? Yes, I will go first. Um, I can't do the accent, but beep, beep. It must be Earth humor. What kind of figure of speech is like that? Beep, beep. <laughs> <laughs> and it was yeah, I that one too. Um, I'll do um, one between... Um, basically, I'll do the one where they're in the, um, the garden, and it's Delenn. She says, Notice the waves, each moving in its own order, predictable, unchanging. But drop in a single stone and see how the pattern changes. Everything around it is altered. Uh, all I have is there is a hole in your mind. I think it's pretty obvious that will be significant. Yeah, has to be. Yeah. I've got uh, from Lara Takashima. Of course, if it makes you feel any better, Ambassador, I'd be happy to send them a fruit basket. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, that's the uh, other thing I was going to mention as well. In the original ed- edit, uh, that line when she's has that dialogue with uh, Jakarta. She's much more sultry and apologetic in her approach, even though she still says that line. It's just they used a different take to kind of 
make sure her character got across better, I suppose. And the other one was after the whole telepathic um, business exchange and the guy storms off. Lita Alexander just, funny, I just knew you were going to say that. Yeah. <laughs> oh, one note was that this part where Lita is explaining why she doesn't want to do a mind scan on Kaj, they filmed the scene and they got a note, I guess, from the network saying that she seems a little too harsh. So they had her voice over that part and she was a little nicer, a little more breathy. So she wouldn't come across as so harsh. And then they got another note from the network saying, you know, she doesn't seem authoritative enough. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> Make up your mind. Yeah. Wow. So they, when they did the, I guess the TNT edit, they used the original. Um, do we get to do more than one? Sure. Quote? Okay. Go ahead. I have Garibaldi. Commander, this little breach of security isn't going to affect my Christmas bonus, is it? Uh, <laughs> any others? Um, I did have the one um, near the beginning, so it was like, <clears throat> Sinclair. I wouldn't. You know the rules about crossing species. Stick with the list. Random tourist. What are you, a bigot or something? Sinclair. No, but obviously you've never met an Arnasian before. After they finish, they eat their mate. Oh, there's not a quote here, but I just like the fact that Landa keeps trying to tell Garibaldi a story, but never gets to finish it. I think he tries to say it about three times, doesn't he? What story? Um, The story about the invading the sector. It's something along the lines of a veritable swarm of starships, but he never gets seems oh. to be able to finish the story. <laughs> there, there, there's obviously a punchline or a climax to the story, which he never gets to. <laughs> so now we'll move to our characters of the week. Uh, first off, the human of the week. I kind of maybe Sinclair... Oh, I'd say Sinclair, you know, he's the commander of the station after all. This episode kind of focuses on him, doesn't he? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I went with Sinclair as well because he was, I think he was the most part of the story. And we got, we got backstory on other characters too, but we got more on him. And also it was like the most intriguing as far as making predictions. Well, I just I chose Garibaldi because I thought he was, you know, really pivotal in helping and figure out what happened. Um, so he did a pretty good job. What about our alien of the week? Plenty to choose from here. Yeah, this was kind of hard for me because I kind of like a lot of them. Yeah, my my first uh, first reaction was Delenn because I really like her, but then I kind of had to go with uh, Jakar because I thought he was hilarious in that scene when he's propositioning Lita, and I'm worried that we that he may not be a recurring character. Like if he leaves because of this whole thing and isn't around anymore, I'm I'm afraid that he won't be back, and so I wanted to give it to him because. 
if he's never around again, then uh, he needs to get this one. <laughs> yeah, I ended up going with Lundo just because he's entertaining and he's funny. He he did vote against Sinclair, but he was apologetic about it. he does have you know a heart. Um, no, for me, it's just I I couldn't choose between the only other big ones, so I had to go for random gorilla alien. <laughs> it's just what? Why is he there? That makes no sense. Uh, so I just had to pick that one because the rest of them I couldn't really pick any one of the main aliens there. Um, so that's my reasoning. Well, I guess I'll round it out because I picked Delenn because um, I find her very fascinating and I really want to see more about what's going on there. So, um, she, yeah, she was the most intriguing to me. I'll, I'll pick someone different. Nice. Uh, so next we'll go to our ratings. Heidi, do you want to start? Sure. I really enjoyed this. It. It was really good. It it gave me a lot of different things to think about with the introduction of all the different characters, and it kind of gave us backstory a little bit on each one. Um, and I'm I'm really looking forward to learning more about each of these characters. And we kind of talked about in our introductory episode that we were um, Elizabeth and I that characters really make a show for us, and. Um, and so I'm very pleasantly surprised with this group of characters. And I enjoyed the story and how it was kind of a, a murder mystery thing going on in this movie. So I am going to give it, and I worry about this because I'm rating it kind of high. and But I have nothing else to reference it on. So um, 9 out of 10 telepaths making business deals. Wow, nice. <laughs> Elizabeth. Nice. Well, um, I enjoyed it. Um, I, 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 I guess I was, I wasn't sure what to expect, really. I mean, I had no idea. So right off the bat, I liked how it opened. Um, I liked how we get little snippets of background on the different races or governments. Um, you know, the characters are pretty good. I'm not sold on Sinclair yet. Um, I think he's a little bit bland at this point, as is Takashima. I, I liked Garibaldi. I liked the doctor. Um, I liked Lita. Um, Carolyn was okay for me. And I, I enjoyed all of the, um, the ambassadors. Um, so there was a little cheesiness here and there. Some of the speeches, um, though an enjoyable cheesiness in some aspects, but um, I thought it was a good story, a good setup to, you know, that the series. Uh, so I'll give it a solid, Seven um, digital watch walkie-talkies out of ten. How about you, Ian? Yeah, I I like this as a pilot, as an introduction. It really sets things up and gives you nice little nuggets as to, you know, the background of the alien species and, you know, sets up little mysteries going forward. You get nice little insights as to some of the characters and um, yeah, you've got a really nice um, back and forth between some of these characters. You've got um, a storyline that hooks you, but I, I still think there's a few flaws with this. It, 
could have been done a bit better. Maybe I'm a little biased because I've seen the original cut more than I've seen the TNT cut. And the original cut kind of it feels a, a very different. I think, for one thing, the music change from the original cut to the TNT cut improves it so much. So I'm going to give an extra half mark for that. But all in all, it's a flawed beginning, but it's got some great promise. So I'd say seven and a half uh, fruit baskets out of ten. Well, I also enjoy the episode, and I may be seeing it through in my perception because I know what happens next. And it was a good first episode. We established the characters and did a lot of world building. There was lots of exposition, <laughs> and, but they had a lot to do in the pilot. Um, special effects were cool, considering. Uh, but there was a little bit of bad acting, and that kind of <laughs> took me out of it a little bit. But... All in all, I think it was a good beginning, and I would give it 7.5 out of 10 old Minbari insults. Now I'm really worried about my high rating. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, if you liked it, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, You've just got to rate from the heart and rate what moves you. If it's 9 out of 10 for you, it's 9 out of 10. Yeah. It's hard to rate, like, without anything else to compare it to. So. Well, guys, we didn't get any feedback this week. That's oh, right. a shame. It's so much better when we get feedback. So if you want to leave feedback, if you want to write email or record a sound clip and send it to us, just send it to mail at downbelowpodcast.com and we'll read it or play it on the show. Shane, so, I'm disappointed in you, really. You told me on Facebook you were going to leave feedback for every episode. <laughs> And you yeah. failed already. Well, he may Your have trip. sent it late. Yeah, I checked, I think, about 15 minutes before we started, and I didn't see anything. Well, the next episode, we'll be recording the next episode in two weeks, but after that, we'll be back on a weekly schedule. And I don't know, I don't think I mentioned this before, but each season of Babylon 5 had a, its own title, and you'll see it on the DVD cases. The name of season one is called Signs and Portents, P-O-R-T-E-N-T-S. And the dictionary says a portent is a sign or warning that something usually bad or unpleasant is going to happen. And the name of the next episode is called Midnight on the Firing Line. So, our ambassadors, do you have any theories or any overall theories or any predictions on the next episode? Let's start with start with Heidi since Elizabeth went first last time. Okay, did you say midnight on the fiery line? Firing. Firing. F- firing line. Okay. Oh, okay. It sounds like war stories to me. Um, uh, maybe we're gonna get into this. Uh, this stuff with uh, Sinclair already, like maybe, um, maybe that's going to come a lot sooner than I thought it would, um, and we'll actually get some information about this big battle that occurred. That's what I'm going with. Okay. Um, well, no, I have to agree with Heidi. I think it sounds like we're going to get more information about um, the battle that Sinclair was in. 
I really hope we get flashbacks. That would be cool. Yeah. Uh, instead of just exposition. Um, it'd be great to, to actually show what happened. Um, so, yeah, I'll go with that. And how about theories that you've come up with just watching the pilot? Okay. So, <laughs> I think that, well, Delenn said that she's there to observe Sinclair. And I really hate to say this because I like her and I don't think that she's bad. And um, But uh, I'm going to say that she is there to observe him because his time that is gone, uh, they, they basically alien abducted him and <laughs> did something to him and then put him back in his ship and then they surrendered and I don't know if he is an experiment or what exactly she's doing there to observe him but that's what I think is going on that she's there for nefarious reasons well I definitely think she was yeah she was referring to that um, when she said that she was there to observe there was definitely a um, an allusion to uh, the time that you know the the time that he forgot, um, and obvious. I have no idea why they surrendered. I don't even have a theory about that. Uh, I can't even think of why that would be. Um, so yeah, I mean, definitely. I, I don't, your guess is as good as mine. So I'll, I'm I totally am backing your guess that somehow he was taken on board and um, and then put back, and then that. I guess they had the ability to take that out of his mind um, somehow. Um, yeah. But I think that um, in terms of like the, the, the first season, I would guess that by the end of the first season, you know, not all the representatives from the five um, races will be, let's say, getting along. And maybe one or or more of them will sort of leave the... Babylon station uh, because there's a conflict or something like that. Um, mm. uh, I guess. Or maybe the signs importance are about a, a heretofore unknown race that is coming up and uh, they all have to band together. I don't know. <laughs> but my first inclination was is to say that, you know, there will be conflict between the, the ambassadors or between the, the races. And um, one of them will leave by the end of this season. The uh, the signs importance thing makes me think of prophecies, which makes me think that um, I don't know. It makes me think of that Lita will somehow be involved with her um, with her psychic abilities, and I I guess she's not really like a fortune teller or see into the future or anything. But I don't know. I just um, kind of just relates it'd be interesting to see what the different like if the different races believe in a higher power you know what they believe in, in terms of um, you know supernatural uh, things that'd mm -hmm. be interesting to explore yeah and I if Jakar is not a main character which I'm really hoping that he is and that he'll stick around um, but I think that he's eventually going to realize that he's not being tracked. 
Yeah, he only, only has to do was like some kind of experiment. <laughs> yeah. Do we think, Heidi, do you think that um, that there was some kind of... Do you think Sinclair and Delenn will ever get together? <laughs> hmm. <laughs> I hadn't considered that. <laughs> I don't know why I thought about it. That could be interesting. Maybe because I predicted there would be an interspecies uh, main main character yeah. romance. Yeah, and I'm I'm not really all that sold on Carolyn. She's kind of one dimensional at this point. So <laughs> yeah, she's she's not really there much either. So mm-hmm. well, that's all we have for you today. Join us again in two weeks for Midnight on the Firing Line. Goodbye. Bye. Bye. Look for us on the web in iTunes and Stitcher Radio. Also at downbelowpodcast.com, facebook.com slash groups slash downbelowpodcast, and also on Twitter at downbelowcast.